It's time to join Montana's very own and your voice for agriculture, Talking Ag Lane Nordland, for today's LaneCast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Agriculture Conversation here on the LaneCast Ag Podcast. And many farmers and ranches and agribusinesses are getting ready to file for their 2021 taxes here in the spring of 2021. And today we are going to continue our conversations with our friends at Whipfully with another Whipfully Spotlight on Agriculture. And we all know how innovative farmers and ranchers can be, and that innovation may end up saving them money through the research and development tax credits. We are going to be joined by some great individuals on the Whipfley team, that being Christina Schultz and Kendra Goodman, who are senior managers at Whipfley, and they are your R&D tax credit experts. And again, Whipfley is so much more than just a tax and accounting firm. They provide multiple tools to help make your farmer, ranch, or agribusiness successful. We're going to have a great conversation on an area that I had not thought about in terms of saving a little bit of tax money on before. We'll be back right after these words. You deserve to work with an accounting firm that understands that agriculture is a way of life as much as it's a way to make a living. At Whipfley, we not only understand tax law, but also the agriculture industry. Our dedicated team of ag professionals can help you navigate tax complexities, help your farm or ranch operation with accounting and payroll setup and assist with specialty tax services like R&D studies and more. So whether you need tax planning and preparation or traditional accounting assistance, call one of our offices or visit webfleet.com today. Alrighty, friends, welcome back to the Lancast Ag Podcast, having our agriculture conversation with our monthly Whipfley Spotlight on agriculture. Of course, Whipfley is known for their outstanding uh, accounting and CPA team, but they are so much more, and especially for our farmers and ranchers and ag businesses out there. They continue to provide resources, opportunities, and knowledge, not just in the tax realm, but across your family agriculture business as well. And again, our discussion will be surrounding R&D tax credit incentives for the agriculture industry. Of course, that means research and development tax credits. And we're going to include an overview of what the tax credits are, activities that they qualify for, and how to claim the credit themselves. But of course, I'm not the expert. I would not want to be giving any uh, advice when it comes to tax, taxes or accounting or whatnot. That's why we have the professionals out, out there. So uh, joining us here today are Christina Schultz and Kendra Goodman. They're both senior managers on Whipley's Research and Development Tax Credit team. Uh, they consult with clients in a variety of industries to provide research and development tax consulting services. Uh, how, how is it going today? Kendra, I'll start with you. Uh, how, how's your day going here uh, during the, the uh, 2021 spring, of course, prepping for the 2021 tax filings. Yeah, it's going good. We are happy to be here this morning. And uh, obviously, we got a little bit of a relief with some of the tax deadline extensions. So we're enjoying that. But uh, other than that, things are going well. And just, yeah, happy to be here this morning. Great. Christina, for yourself, how, how are things shaping up here today? Great, great. Yeah, we're happy to be here. It's nice that we were um, included in this conversation. And I think we're ready for some warmer weather. That's what I keep thinking. I had, we, uh, 
we had our nice 50 degree day earlier this week and today it's raining. So um, good day to be inside having a podcast instead of outside. Well, and of course, you know, we I woke up uh, to our home here in Bozeman and a little bit of snow and ice on the ground. And yesterday I was talking uh, with my dad. I'm heading up north to the ranch uh, t- tomorrow. But he goes, yep. Yeah, and we're actually capping a little bit early. I think the neighbor's bull got into our pasture uh, a few days before we turned ours out. So we are starting a little bit early. But uh, yeah, of course, uh, all my cows will probably decide to calve when it gets really cold here in the weather here in the next few days. But, um, you know, obviously, uh, as I mentioned uh, in our previous Whiffly Spotlights on Agriculture podcast, these are our tools and advice that producers can utilize. And uh, talking about these research and development tax credits, uh, I know you have extensive experience involving both research and development deductions, including Section 174 and costs eligible for the R&D tax credit under Section 41 as well. But I think we need to jump back to exactly what is an R&D tax credit, just so I don't confuse our audience out there. Uh, uh, I'll let uh, either one of you start uh, start and talking about what are these R&D tax credits for those not familiar? Yeah, absolutely. So the R&D tax credit has been around since the 80s. So it's been in existence for a really long time. We have lots of clients who have been taking advantage of it all the way since the 80s. And then obviously it is new to a lot of individuals and companies out there who are just starting to learn about it. So it is a great opportunity for a lot of taxpayers. Um, It was originally created from an incentivize to incentivize innovation and really create jobs here in the U.S. You know, back in the 80s, we were losing a lot of those technical jobs to overseas. And obviously, as we move and fast forward to today, we still do have a lot of competition with international, you know, different countries around the world that are trying to kind of capitalize those markets and um, I guess take advantage of those technological industries. So the R&D tax credit was made permanent in 2016. So we know it's around to stay or at least as permanent as anything within the tax code can be. Obviously that changes annually it seems or even daily once in a while. Um, So it is a great opportunity in order for people to save money on their taxes. So I think another thing to add in is just that it's available to any type of taxpayer and any type of industry. There's not industry specifications that need to be met. Really, it's focused on the activities that that taxpayer is conducting that helps determine whether the cost of those projects, those activities could be included in the credit, help save the company some money. Okay, thanks, Christina, on that. And I guess uh, I'm curious, and our listeners will be curious of, of uh, what kind of businesses will benefit. You said, you know, obviously anyone is eligible, but obviously they have to have some type of activity going on. But uh, what kind of businesses qualify, and uh, how do farmers and ranchers qualify for that R&D credit as well? Yeah, that's a great question. So. Uh, we started to talk about this a little bit. The credit is an activities-based incentive. And so typically when we're helping someone who's never heard about the credit or never claimed the credit before, the first thing we talk about is what are the different types of activities that they're conducting to see where the eligibility might exist. And those things can be around product development. So whether you're developing your own new variety of product, uh, it could be an improvement. You know, you want to add a certain functionality. You're looking for a certain feature that your product doesn't have right now. So that could be there. It could also be related to process. So thinking about farmers and ranchers who have equipment. 
It could be that you buy equipment off standard off the shelf from a manufacturing vendor. It could also be that you use some of your own ingenuity to develop your own product, your own process equipment. Uh, that could potentially qualify. Um, as we get into larger ranchers or ranchers who are using more technology-based solutions, there might be software involved in some of the activities that you're conducting. There can be some eligibility there. And as well as just internal invention, you know, you come up with a better way, a better mousetrap, if you will, there can be some potential there. So once we identify these activities, there are requirements to qualify. And if that project is qualified, just kind of a linear process here, what are the projects? Are they qualified? Yes, they are. Great. Let's talk about the cost and try to save the company some money. So the next kind of component of claiming the credit is once you've identified one of these projects, you compare the facts of that project to what we call the four-part test. And basically, these are the four standard requirements, four fact requirements that a project would have to have to, to be satisfied for the credit and to include the cost of that project in the credit. Um, maybe just in general, though, credits are, are a tax word. And so what in general, what that means is that if you have a, a dollar of tax liability that you owe to the government, and in general, we find a dollar in credit, whether it's an R&D credit or a different credit, they usually net to zero. Now, there's lots of tax specifications around who you are and where, where that money comes from that dictate a lot of that. But in general, it's a really lucrative incentive, credits are. And so um, that's typically where, where companies come in and say, wow, I'd love to hear more because it's such a lucrative incentive for them. Well, thanks for explaining more on that, Christina. And Kendra, I mean, uh, do you want to add anything on there before I ask any more questions? Yeah, so I guess in relation to the types of entities that qualify, it can be as Christina mentioned, large entities, it could be a C-Corp or it could be an individual who just maybe has a Schedule F on their tax return. It, you don't have to be a big operation in order to qualify for the tax credit. And it is the tax credit is that dollar for dollar reduction of your tax liability. So yes, at the end of the day, you do have to have a tax liability in order to benefit from the credit. So if you're finding other ways in order to reduce that income down to zero, then the credit won't benefit you. But if you do have some of that tax liability, it's absolutely something that's a good return on investment. You still get to keep the deduction, meaning all of those costs that go into calculating the credit, reduce your income, and then you get that dollar for dollar reduction on top of that. So it's kind of a double dip, if you will. One of the, one of the very few within the tax code. So. <laughs> there are very few. <laughs> but uh, what are some uh, examples of specific ex expenses that might be eligible just to help maybe uh, paint a better picture for our, our audience? Uh, maybe some uh, examples of I, I know we can't name clients. I know that's uh, confidential and everything, but maybe some examples that you, uh, of clients uh, uh, that, that you've worked with, especially in that ag sector or ag business sector. Sure. So I can talk about the process equipment side. I actually have a personal story about this. Um, when I was probably 10 to, to 22, my parents had a ginseng farm. And my dad, historically, before that, had been a potato farmer. He managed a potato farm, and which he does now. Um, but we took a short stint in the middle to try ginseng. And as you can imagine, when it's time to harvest ginseng, um, you have to get it out of the ground. And so we always use the potato harvester to uh, agitate the ground and, and separate the dirt from the ginseng, but then it fell back on the ground and we ended up taking your five gallon bucket and your dirty knees and dirty hands and kind of digging 
your way across the ground to gather the ginseng. Um, and my dad's very uh, kind of ingenuity is a part of his, his core heart. And so he said, there's got to be a better way. Um, and so he developed something to attach to the back end of what you would see on a potato harvester. Instead of the potato harvester dumping into a, a potato truck, he built a series of conveyors that, and platforms that we could stand along. You know, again, he started with a blank sheet of paper, a ground up design. Um, he decided that he did, wanted to do it different and he had to figure out a way to do that. That's really what the heart of the R&D credit is. Is, are you developing something where there's some technical unknown? Uh, what's the appropriate design of what you're trying to accomplish? He didn't want to crawl on the ground anymore. He didn't want to see his wife and his kids crawling on the ground anymore. So he said, can I develop a new piece of equipment to do this better, faster, more efficiency um, so that we can create a better solution for us? And so he designed this this piece of equipment. He he built it. And again, I was only 12 or 15. But had I known, and I tell him frequently now, I should have told you. Except I was 15 and didn't know anything about the R&D tax credit. <laughs> I, I'd be startled if you actually knew anything about the uh, tax credit <laughs> at that right? age. That would have scared me if you knew about that tax credit back then. <laughs> right. But I think the intention is there. And hopefully you yep. can see kind of the visualization here. Farmers, we hear quite frequently... They got to find a better way, and they're they they have a brain that can get them there. They they have a lot of me mechanical backgrounds many times, just from learning, learning as they go. And so that ingenuity, that way of saying, I'm going to do this better. I'm not going to just do what everybody else did. That would be a great point to say, hey, I should probably ask somebody if I can claim some of this for an R&D credit. One of the things we uh, kind of didn't talk about yet, Lane, was what we call the four part test and. These are the requirements that you need to satisfy. A project fax would need to align with these requirements to qualify for the credit. So a, a little bit about that four-part requirement I mentioned. The first requirement is called the permitted purpose test. And back to those types of projects, product and process, could be computer software, um, you need to have a, a objective to either develop something that's brand new or improve upon something that's already existing. Now, if you're on the forefront of technology and you're trudging your way, you're the first in the industry, of course you can imagine you're developing something that's brand new to the world. You don't have to have that though. You, it could be brand new to you. Your competitor down the street, your competitor across the state, they might have this, this product already, but you've never tried it. They might have a piece of equipment that they've designed, but you're gonna have to put your own heart, sweat, and tears into coming up with your own method, your own way that works for you. That would help satisfy that permitted purpose requirement. The second requirement is called technological in nature. And that means that you have to be relying on the principles of a hard science, physics, engineering, computer science, biological science, physical sciences, depending on you know your, the rancher situations and thinking about different varieties. Um, you don't have to have any type of degree. You don't have to have any letters at the end of your name. You don't have to have a certain job title. But the point here is that you can imagine the R&D credit is intended to capture technical development, like Kendra was referring to, to keep technical jobs and innovation here, US-bound activities. And then the third requirement is called technical uncertainty. And to us, that focuses on the biggest challenges that you had technically. Um, is it what's the appropriate design? Going back to my dad with his farming equipment, how do we, how does he design that to do what he wants? How does he integrate it with the potato 
harvester that we were already using. What are some of those other big challenges mechanically, maybe from a control perspective that might exist for him that he had to answer? It, it could be appropriate design is the biggest technical challenge, but it could also be we've never seen this before. You know, we're talking about a mousetrap that's never existed. Are we even capable uh, from a technical standpoint to, to come up with something like this? Um, and so that could be the solution. The fourth requirement is called the process of experimentation requirement. And really that says that there's some sort of evaluation being included here, as you can imagine, supporting that there's uncertainty and saying, well, we kind of just blindly applied a plan. Um, it, it's hard to support, but rather saying, well, we had to evaluate, we had to consider alternatives, we had to look at alternative designs or alternative paths to get from where we are today to where we wanted to be. You can imagine that saying, well, we had to evaluate, we had to reconsider, supports, hey, there was technical challenge because we didn't know. How did we not know? We had to evaluate to figure it out. We had to take a step back because plot one from a variety perspective didn't work or, or some things happened that we weren't expecting as, in terms of the results. Now, how do we address that? What will we change in that process? And so um, those four requirements would be satisfied if the facts of the project meet those four requirements. Then we can talk about the costs that are a part of that project and include those costs in the credit. So it's kind of a linear mm -hmm. product is qualified, requirements are met, what are the costs? Mm -hmm. And I guess maybe just to take it a step further on the product side. So Christina went through a great example on the process side with her dad's equipment. Um, a lot of times what we see from the egg space is really in relation to test plots, which Christina kind of alluded to in her four part test. So we might be developing a new strain or doing some crossbreeding with improved nutritional values, some of those different types of test plots where we might have a small portion of our farm that we're dedicating to this test plot. Or maybe we're saying, you know what, we need to test a huge portion of our farm in order to make sure that we're able to have repeatability, not just within this small test plot. So that would be kind of that new product perspective. And then obviously from the technical uncertainty and process of experimentation portion on that, as we're going through the, you know, season and evaluating the different yields, can we add different fertilizers? Can we add different chemicals? Or are there different processes that we want to apply to this test plot in order to come up with the highest yield potential? So it's not always going to be so much, you know, as developing a brand new piece of equipment. It can be something as what we're doing in our day-to-day -day farming operations of, hey, we want to try this new crop next year. Before we plant it on all thousand acres that we have, let's try this small test plot. Can we do it? Can we make a you know, yield at the end of the day that we are comfortable with and happy with? So there is a whole variety of opportunities for farmers out there. Well, and you just, you mentioned uh, uh, both, both, all these examples are so great for folks to really digest and, and consider that, oh, we, we may be doing that. And, you know, I think of the dairy industry, I'm sure many dairymen out there, I mean, you, you just look at how advanced these dairy barns have become. And I guess for, for myself, I, uh, being out in cow, calf country in Montana, uh, I see a lot of ranchers team up with researchers, whether through universities or, or, or NGOs, uh, to, to track cattle grazing and, and gain and genetics. And, and truly, that is research. I mean, is that something that also could fall in there, depending on, obviously, they're trying to enhance uh, uh, their product on the cattle end. Am I crazy in trying to use that as a comparison? No, not at all. That's a great example, too. So obviously, as we are looking at 
you know, from a genetics perspective, we definitely have breeding programs as well that are going to qualify from an R&D perspective. So it is something where we do have to have the financial rights and risk to the research. So that is something we have to look a little closer at if you're partnering with either a university, if they're funding any of your research, if you're getting payments for that research you might be excluded from that perspective, mm -hmm. but absolutely from a, you know, actual cattle perspective, looking at the technological, you know, if it's a actual custom milking system or the crossbreeding programs with that, absolutely going to be eligible from that perspective as well. Well, again, it just, uh, that's why I'm glad we're having this conversation. And uh, I've had uh, listeners reach out saying, you know, I started listening to, the, listening to these Whiffly Spotlight on Egg podcasts thinking it's just going to be, you know, pushing taxes or this and that down down your throat. But they're like, you know, we've actually learned a lot. And, and just me sitting here, uh, I know this conversation is going to help a producer out there, whether they're a young producer or an experienced producer, because sometimes we just forget about these things mm -hmm. um, and these opportunities to save a little money <laughs> at the at the end of Absolutely. the year and reinvest it in something else on the operation. Uh, but but it always comes down to records and documentation and, and keeping track of all that. So what what do businesses need to, to keep track of in order to be to maintain those to claim the credit? That's a great question. So there's three different types of costs you can include in the credit. That would be employees' wages. So, you know, Lane, if you're talking about a breeding program, the people who are involved in figuring out what you're going to do and evaluating throughout the process, how's it going, what additional things should we, we be considering, a portion of their time might qualify, and so a portion of their wages would qualify. So from a documentation standpoint, a being able to support they were involved in the project as well as their wages, the uh, documentation around their wages would be helpful. From a supply standpoint, which is the second bucket of cost, really any tangible cost that you're using throughout that development process as a part of um, building a prototype, like my dad's example, or the cost that you incur for the test plot, um, the, being able to support those costs would be helpful. And then the process of experimentation. Kendra and I have been saying that over and over, but intentionally we talk about that a lot. Anything that you can help to cover documentation around the testing or the alternatives that you've considered, even if it's just a few key emails. Hey guys, we were doing this thing, remember? Oh yeah, can you send me how that plot looks today? Um, text messages or documentation from the university if they're giving you some information. Really to capture the four-part test is satisfied and where the costs are whether that's invoicing or an account you throw the buck, the costs in, things like that. Yeah, and there aren't specific documentation requirements in the code, so it is going to be unique for each farmer. We usually rely upon what you're already maintaining for other reasons, so it's not something where you have to go through and make sure you're creating something that says, this is what I did today, and you know, making an entire notebook full of notes. Obviously, if you're doing that, great, it's helpful, but there is not a specific documentation requirement. We absolutely want to rely upon you know, logs and records that you have for other reasons already. You know, we've definitely seen a lot of more advanced tracking programs. You know, you might have some software installed on some of your equipment that's tracking the different fertilizers or chemicals, how much you've applied, when you applied it, the, you know, weather conditions that were occurring that day. All of that information that you might not think is going to be applicable for the R&D credit is going to be great documentation and really help to support it. So it's not something where, like I said, you have to create something brand new just to claim the credit. 
if we see areas, we might make some suggestions, but absolutely we can rely upon what's already been tracked. And that's the great opportunity for producers and agribusinesses out there that are already using, you know, uh, Whiffley's resources or their, their other, uh, the other tax uh, uh, experts that are out there. But, you know, uh, having that uh, knowledge base, especially an ag knowledge base uh, like the Whiffley team has, that, that, that uh, helps both entities out so much better because it's already part of that's being tracked. But, you know, somebody may be listening right now thinking, oh, Maybe I do qualify for this credit. Uh, how do they claim it? And is it going to be a mess if they haven't been tracking it throughout 2020 to try and claim it here in 2000 and, uh, for the 2021 filing year? Yeah. So um, obviously, Whipley does have a team of experts. You know, Christina and I are part of a team that will definitely consult on the R&D tax credit for a number of agricultural clients. So we work with companies all across the country in order to claim these credits. So absolutely happy to consult with that. It is something that's claimed on the tax return. So as you mentioned, Lane, if it's something they're looking at for 2020, obviously with those tax deadlines coming up, um, would want to explore that opportunity sooner than later. (laughs) By all means though, if it's the first year that you're looking at it, isn't going to preclude you if you haven't been tracking things purely for the R&D tax credit historically. We would come in and work with you to help you figure out what you would have. And obviously, from that perspective, it's something where we'll give you suggestions to on a go forward of how to keep tracking it in order to make sure you're maximizing your credit potential. Yeah, maybe just to add a little bit to that, one of the things that we do for new taxpayers is it's hard to kind of jump all in. Let's do this. Let's think about all the costs. Let's maybe change the way we're capturing some things without knowing how much benefit is out there. And so our first help to any type of taxpayer, including agribusiness, would be let's talk first high level. Let's talk about what types of projects you might have, what types of costs exist, or what types of costs might we need to estimate, and come up with an range where we think the credit might be. And Lane, really what that will do for any of your listeners is to help them come up with a return on investment. Is this worth my energy? Am I thinking about this in the frame of what the R&D credit is intended to capture? Before I say, man, I I just want to claim this credit and I want to get it on my return. So Whipley's here to help just with that first step. Or like Andrew mentioned, finalize every number, get it on your return and help the company save some money. Whatever whatever portion of that you're interested in now, Whipley's here to help you understand where, where you want to go with it. Well, and you mentioned, I'm glad you brought up uh, return on investment because farmers and ranchers and these ag businesses and all businesses, they put hundreds and thousands of hours into these new innovations, into their developments, into their research. And uh, I know it's hard to probably quantify, but uh, for a typical uh, farmer out there that is creating these new developments, how many hours are they spending working with your team really compared to how many hours they're putting into the actual end product that they're trying to create. Um, I think that's what folks need to not forget about is, you know, take a few, take that few hours over (laughs) several months to work with the Whiffley team to be able to do that. Could you maybe share just how much time a producer needs to be putting in on the, on the tax end of it from, from the actual work that's going out in the field or in development? Yeah, absolutely. So as far as the amount of time that they'd have to invest in helping to quantify the credit, obviously that is going to vary for each 
producer. You know, if they have a lot of R&D activities within the year, there's definitely going to be more time that they're going to have to spend with us to make sure we're identifying all of those costs and activities that are eligible for the credit. You know, if we have just a few test plots or just a couple, you know, pieces of equipment, obviously that's going to be a little bit faster of a or less of a time commitment for that producer. Um, so, you know, we can definitely see anywhere ranging from maybe it's five hours to gather those records, have a few phone calls with us to calculate that credit all the way up to, you know, maybe it's a couple days that we would have to spend going back and forth with them to fully understand all of their activities and make sure we're maximizing those credits. So, you know, really there is quite a range, but it is a small investment of time in comparison to the rest of the activities that they're mm -hmm. investing their time in daily. So, well, and I think maybe just to add to that, the first year that you look at this incentive, um, the way that you claim the credit is we have to compare the current year activities. Well, one way is to compare the current year activities and dollars associated with them to the prior years, the prior three years. So the first year, we typically try to get this four year trend of data. One thing that's really great about that is you end up investing a little bit more time that first year, but it sets a plan. Um, where is the cost? Where's Who's the right person that can help us gather this information? And from the producer, from the rancher side of things, do I want to gather that throughout the year or do I want to wait till Whipley reaches out to me later uh, for that cost? And we see some people making you know, baby steps forward for themselves because they know it'll be a faster, more intuitive way to gather the information after that first year. That first year feels like sometimes we take some steps forward and some steps back because we're still trying to figure out where's the cost, where's the right way to gather it, what's quickest for you, what's easiest for us uh, to get some combination of, of efficiency. So um, the hours I think makes sense, but just keep in mind that first year, whether Whipley's helping you or anybody else, there's probably going to be a little bit more back and forth than you anticipate because we're just trying to figure out the plan. Um, but after that, it becomes a lot more smoother transition. These conversations are so important, especially for producers out there that are just still trying to get by. It's been, it's been a tough year. I know there has been uh, some much-needed relief uh, through USDA and the COVID relief packages out there. And uh, just a reminder for our producers, uh, I believe is it May 17th is the extended tax deadline for 2020 filings. Is that right? That is correct. <laughs> Perfect. Well, just wanted to make sure I got that that date right. So obviously <laughs> extended by a month, but uh, hey, that doesn't mean you shouldn't start uh, trying to get those uh, taxes, uh, all your information in uh, with your tax experts like Whipley out there. But uh, uh, Christina and Kendra, anything else that you would just like to share with us here today? I know uh, you, you have a busy day ahead of you, but uh, any uh, words of encouragement or, or just any last tips you'd like to share with our, our audience joining the agriculture conversation today? I would just say if you think you have activities that qualify, it's always worth the conversation. You don't want to be leaving any dollars on the table. So always happy to have that conversation and just kind of provide some guidance there. So don't hesitate to reach out to us or your tax provider to kind of explore the opportunity. All right. Well, again, thank you so much to Christina Schultz and Kendra Goodman for joining us here on this special Whiffly Spotlight on Agriculture, a part of the Lanecast Ag Podcast series. Uh, ladies, thank you for joining us here today. Thanks so thank much. You. All righty, friends. That will do it for today's Agriculture Conversation. I'm Lane Nordland. 
We'll catch you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.